Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Tracy Jones, and welcome to another Tremendous Leadership Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we talk with leaders of all ages and stages about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am truly excited because my guest is Diana Bohr. Diana, welcome. Thank you, Tracy. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Diana goes way back with the Joneses. She knew my mom and dad for many, many decades, is a veteran speaker, author, and I'm going to tell you all about her before we dive right into this. So Diana, she helps organizations communicate clearly and leaders expand their influence by a strong executive presence and occasionally by her own published book, which we're going to unpack here too. She's the best-selling author of 49 books, some from Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, McGraw-Hill, and these have been published in 62 foreign languages. Her latest books include Faster, Fewer, and Better Emails, Communicate Like a Leader, Creating Personal Presence, What More Can I Say, and Communicate with Confidence. Her clients include more than one-third of Fortune 100 companies. Diana, I cannot wait to hear what you have to share about paying the price of leadership. Welcome again. Thank you, Tracy. All right, well, let's get started. Diana, you knew my father. You knew he was a very pragmatic, a very jubilant man, but he also knew about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. And one of his speeches was called Just That. And he did this probably 40 years ago, and it's still one of our bestsellers. But in it, he unpacks the four tenets of what leaders are going to actually have to be paying in order to really be paying the price of leadership. The first of those is loneliness. And we've all heard it's lonely at the top, heavy is the head that wears the crown. But can you unpack for us what loneliness has meant to you throughout your life and maybe share some tools for any of our listeners out there that may be in a season of loneliness? Well, loneliness to me, when I've had a company, a training firm until 2017 when I sold it, loneliness there encompassed a lot of angst around cash flow. When you're a small firm, and we were about 15 employees at max, Every time there's a dot-com bubble, when we went through that, there's an energy crisis. We had mostly Fortune 500 organizations. And so when the oil, in fact, we had about eight major oil companies. And when they went through a big crunch, as happens over and over, there's always a cash flow problem. And that's something you can't talk to your employees about because you don't want them, oh no, I got to go look for another job. 
So you sweat that out. And then I think, too, there's usually a lot of travel involved with most organizations, with mine, certainly as a consultant and as a professional speaker and even going on author tours. I would be on the road three weeks, four weeks, sometimes 10 days in a row, not even having the weekend off. So that was part of the loneliest time. And if you're setting up partnerships from executive to executive, you want to show up in their office, not just now. I guess people do more of that by Zoom. Uh, because of the COVID. But traveling was always a huge thing. And I think probably the third area that was the loneliest was when you had a poor performer and you had to do something about it. And you can't talk to other people in the organization to say, I'm thinking about letting Jim or Tom or Harry or Carol or whatever go. So those are lonely decisions, I think, that you have to make. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that because I think sometimes people look at great leaders and think, well, surely they were able to motivate everybody. And it's like, oh no, we're just, (laughs) we got the good, the bad, the ugly, just like everybody else. We got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. But I love that you talked about, hey, with cash flow, you really have to keep that quiet. I'm working with a client right now. And that's one of the things that their boss right now does constantly vent on where we're we're poor. And that's really exhausting. You want to be transparent, but I love that you share that as leaders. There's certain things that we have to burden alone. And if we need to get expert advisement, we get expert advisement. Yes. And I know one particular time, again, this was another big energy crunch and the high tech. IBM was a big client of ours. HP was a big client. We had a lot of people that in the industry, it's well known, written up in the media. We're going through tough times and we're going to cancel any unusual or unnecessary activity like a speech, like consulting, like coaching, like training. And during those times, I finally got to the point where I'm just going to open the books. I'm going to show employees the profit level here and how it's dropped during this crunch. And that helps, but you still, they do not bear being responsible for everybody's salary. Absolutely. And that's a great point. You don't want them to know if something is heading for, but yeah, the details of that. So Dana, talk to me about when you sold the company in 2017. Did you feel a sense of loneliness after that? I know you reshaped yourself and we'll talk about that with your vision, but did you feel lonely then? No, not really, because I was ready (laughs) after four decades of running this. I was ready to turn loose of that company. So no, not loneliness after that happened, but up to the point of discussing it, yes, not having a peer. In the past, I've been parts of mastermind groups and CEO executive groups, but at that particular time, I was not. And so this was a heavy, heavy decision to turn over your life's work to somebody else. Now, of course, Charlie was turning it over to you. And that was great. That was an ongoing feeling. You had a, he had a feel for you and your character and your faith and knowing the integrity would be maintained. You don't have that when you're selling it outside, your family Mm -hmm. outside, a good friend, a best friend. So that was a huge decision to decide to turn over my reputation to Mm -hmm. my training clients and my work on my books. I've kept the rights to, of course. But we've taken those books and we've created more than 200 other products. So you're turning over the integrity and the reputation for those other products and those trainings with somebody else that you don't know. So that was a lonely decision for sure. It is. And I love that you brought up again, the mastermind groups. And for our leaders out there, every leader we've been on here talks to it. I have mine. I have my coach that I pay. I have my mastermind groups. That is so important because there are going to be some things you have to discuss cohort to cohort outside the company, outside the familial bonds, and just get some advisement and counsel. So thank you for that, Diana. 
Love it. Okay. So first of all, he talked about loneliness. Then he says weariness. And Charles would say in his funny way, my problem isn't staying motivated. It's keeping other people from demotivating me. He was kind of snarky like that. Anybody that's worked with people. Okay. We get it. But he was always like, Tracy, you're going to encounter people that are always doing more than what they need to do. Then you're going to have people that are not carrying their weight. And so as a leader, it stops with us. So we got to pick it up. We can't let anything fall. How do you combat and deal with uh, weariness, Diana? Well, that's probably the weakest part of my life as a leader, because I traveled doing research for the books, doing author tours, and then traveling to do speeches and trainings. And I was often on the road. Well, I've already mentioned that, how often. And that is very lonely, even though you have 40 other people that flown in executives. For example, IBM would fly in executives all over the world and put them in this week-long program. And so there's people all around you, but they're temporary people. They're not people that you've built a connection with, not people that you've built a relationship with. They don't know about your business. So it's a very surface interaction every night over dinner for five nights. So I think the weariness comes from not having that support group, but it also comes from long hours. I know I I never managed working just 40 or 45 hours a week. As a business owner, I was always working 55 to 60 hours. Sometimes on occasion, it would be 80 hours, but most of the time, 55 to 60 hours a week. That just wears you down after a while. You just get physically exhausted. And that's when I would just practically sleep all day Saturday to catch up. And of course, that's not true. Physically, you can't catch up by sleeping it all in one day. But you trick your mind to think, yes, I can do that. That, And that's just a weird time because of the long hours. Well, and I think when you're chasing your passion or when you're honed in on your vision, there are times when you have to just will your body to say, okay, we got this much downtime and we're going to keep going. I think of Charles and the pace that he kept. I mean, it was relentless up until his last breath. He may not have been physically moving, but spiritually and mentally, he wanted to finish that race strong. But I love that you talked about be conscious. I was going to mention also, as an author, that weariness sets in because I write a book in about three weeks and most people go, what do you... But I have a process that I used to use in course development that I just intuitively transferred to books. And I do write real quickly. That means locking myself away, clearing the calendar for two to three weeks and writing 12 to 14 hours a day. So you're using mentally. There's no rest period in a meeting or talking to somebody. There's just no mental downtime. And I know my dad used to talk to me about working so hard, working so long. He would say when I was growing up about homework, he would always say, can't go out and play. Can't play basketball. And I was a big basketball player. You can't play basketball until you get your homework done. You always have to have your homework done. So now when I have grown a company and I'm working long hours, my dad's always saying, slow down, slow down. Don't work so hard. And I said, my work is never done. Remember how you told me to do my homework before I could play? <laughs> well, I'm a writer. It's never done. You just continue to go and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and perfect and polish. And even when you send it off to the publisher, you think it's still not done. I could still have improved that. So I think there's that mental drive and that mental stress that being the best that you can be is wearing on your mind. Do you Sabbath? I know some people like take a month off. How do you recharge? Just getting through the book is recharging. (laughs) When I'm working on a long book, like I I have been recently, I just drive, drive, drive 14 hours a day until I get it done. And then- Doing everything else is relaxation to me. Of what most people would consider play, I don't necessarily spend a lot of time on a hobby. My my hobby is reading, my hobby is grandkids. But my hobby, I love my job so much. I'm so passionate about writing that just doing anything that's not that 
is a mental rest, like cooking a meal. I don't normally cook. My husband does most of the cooking. But if I decide I need a rest, then I go in the kitchen and bake something or cook. And I consider that's off. Whereas other people might think that's work. For me, it's not work. I love um, it. I like visiting with my parents. That's a relief because I know I'm doing something for them. I'm helping them. So that's a downtime. Beautiful. Okay. So loneliness, weariness. The next term he used is abandonment. And I know we think of abandonment that kind of gets a negative stereotype for those of us in pet rescue or abandoned <laughs> as a child or fear of abandonment. But he would say abandonment is stopping doing what you like and want to think about and do in favor of what you ought and need to. So it's more abandoning the things that are holding. Because I can remember saying, Dad, you're so successful. And he's like, Tracy, I do more in a day to contribute to my failure than my success. And I'm like, what? And he kept saying, you got to abandon, got to hone it in. So how do you look, your books, your products, you probably got 100 million people. Well, can you talk on this? Can you do this? Can you do a book on this? How do you stay so tightly focused? Well, that is tough. I know when I brought in a general manager, one of his first comments is, you're doing a thousand things. How can you stop doing a thousand things? We need to focus, focus, focus. And I finally got aboard with that. But it took me a while to do that. I always felt like I was called. I know I was called. I know God called me to write. I had a very unusual experience when that came through very strong and clear. So anytime I was on the road speaking or doing training, I felt like I was abandoning what God had called me to do, if that makes sense. And just the logistics. I mean, when you even like you say, a podcast, there's a lot of preparation for that. You've got to send the information and here's a description or listen to some past podcasts so you get the feel of the show. Any little thing like that, logistics, publishing has the same kind of logistics, training has the same kind of logistics. And those, I felt like they're a quote, waste of time because I'm not writing another book. I know they're essential, but I agree with with your dad about a feeling like you're abandoning your calling. Right. But like you said, you have to have the calling is the intrinsic, but then you have to have where the rubber meets the road. You have to have the resources. Otherwise, Jesus had his anointing, but he still needed his disciples out doing their thing because otherwise the word is written down, shared. You go here, you go here. And so I love that. It is essential. And for leaders, I think that's a great point. I think even the management task or the task that I liked the least, I was one of those, here's the project, here's the goal, go do it. Let me know if it's done. And that's probably not the best management philosophy in life. But that's one thing I just did not enjoy is telling people how to do something. I just say, here's the goal. Here's the end product. Here are your resources. Here's the budget. Here's the deadline. And please go do it. And that gave me less sense of I'm wasting time. Yes. Well, I love that you linked abandonment to delegation. And honestly, Diana, General Patton said, don't tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do and they'll surprise you with their ingenuity. Exactly what you said. So if you have the right follower, but you got to have a follower that says, boss, just give me the big picture and I will take it over the goal line. Not somebody that says, Diana, you have to tell me every day what to do. So Uh, yeah. Are you self-starters. Your, yeah, you self-starters. Exactly. Your bench has to be full of self-starters. And I would think in the creative space, it absolutely, it would be. So I think you did a pretty good job. And I love yeah. that abandonment, perhaps abandonment, you need to look at your delegation and see what can you offload to other people. Yes, definitely. Most definitely. Because our tendency is to offload things we don't like to do. And that's good when when we can do that. But we probably should be offloading things that we just don't do well. (laughs) We may enjoy it, but we don't do well. Great insight. Okay. 
loneliness, awareness, abandonment, and last of all is vision. And I can remember sitting under people like you and everybody else growing up. I'm like, oh, these, this is like Nostradamus, these people, the visionary. And my dad was like, no, it's just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And I'm like, okay, I'm an operations girl. I can get my head wrapped around this. So talk to me about what vision means to you. And also, I want to go back to something you said earlier about how you got the calling to write, because clearly that was a vision given to you. Yes, yes. My vision has always, as I said, when I started out being multifocused, people would call and say, do you want to do an online course? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Do you want to create this big webinar series? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Do you want to do public seminars on publishing around the country? Yes, I can do that. And I was just so scattered that it was just so frustrating. And once I got focused to say, it's okay, God called me to do this. What I really do well is write and communication coaching, coaching presenters and things like that. But that's the umbrella. Even the book writing is under the umbrella of communication because I'm just helping other people communicate their vision, their management philosophy, their idea of life balance or whatever. So it's still under that umbrella of communication, but focusing really tightly on what I do well, which is right. That's a skill that God has given me. I feel better about that. And I feel like that is the vision, my vision for where my influence is and where I can most impact other people. And I love that you talked about it being under the umbrella because a lot of people scattered singularity, but then there are people that are multi-gifted. And so they're not going to want to just do okay, Diana, you got to be a speaker. You can't write books. You got to be a speaker. Well, that's not going to happen. And I love how you link it all up to the one overarching vision. So what's next? Talk to me about after selling your company and what you're doing now with the book camps. Well, basically, because I like to write, I thought I have enough. I have a folder that thick. So I could just be writing ideas and ideas. But I love to help other people get their idea, meet their dream. I mean, so many people call and they're just so excited. I've wanted to write this book for 15 years. And now that I'm retired or in my second career, I want to do that. So I love helping them as well. And I've been the last three years actually doing Boer Book Camps, like my name, Boer Book Camps. And it's a three-day event where people actually come and they bring their idea, keep them very small, virtual. And so there are only six of us at max online. And we can actually help you do outline your book, do your book proposal, query, the whole thing in three days. And that's real exciting. So I'm very passionate about that because, again, allowing me to deal with writing and publishing and that whole industry and staying up to date. Some people say that they like to work at this, that, or the other. I always say, I'd rather write than eat. And I love to eat. (laughs) I really do love to eat. But I love to write and help people write their books. Well, I love that at this stage of your life, you got it all back down to your true original love and calling. And I love that you did all those other things because I know you love writing, but you still are a phenomenal leader and other leaders need to learn from you. And as a communication expert, if you're not a good communicator, you can forget about being a leader type thing. So That's I just right. love- That's how leaders get their job done is to communicate to other people. If they cannot communicate and motivate other people, they can't lead. It's essential. I love it. Okay. So now we covered vision. So for our listeners out there that I'm sure are hanging on this every word, any other leadership tidbits or nuggets that you would like to leave them with? No, other than power, empowering your people. I know that's a catchphrase. Everybody's saying that, but I'm particularly in these last two years, I've run into so many organizations who've let people work at home and now they don't quite trust because they can't see them. And so they've taken, usurped power back where they could make a decision. They could call somebody back. They could give a discount if somebody customer had a hard time. 
But I'm seeing leaders not do that so much anymore. And the lower ranking person who may be interacting online with the customer or on the phone does not have that power. So I'd say as a strong leader, they have to go back to trusting their employees, building trust, building that connection so that they do feel empowered to take care of the customer. Absolutely. Thank you for that. It really does take a secure, evolved leader for that. All right. Well, Diana, where can people get in touch with you? On my website. Obviously, I'm on social media everywhere, but Booher, just like my name, booherresearch.com. And if you want to go directly to the book camp, I have also that domain, booherbookcamp.com. Okay. For our listeners out there, if you're not reading the transcript, we'll have all this in the show notes and the YouTube links and stuff like that. So you can reach out to Diana. Dana, thank you so much. It was so great to connect with you again as a sister. You're my idol. I hope I can grow up and be half as tremendous as you. And you've been a dear friend of my family. I go back and look at some old pictures. I had everything digitized and you're in so many of them with my mother and father. And it's just- I love them. I love them. They're precious people and role models for me. Your dad, and specifically because we were in a mastermind group, but he was particularly a role model for me. Thank you, Diana. All right. Well, listen, for our listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in to the Leaders on Leadership podcast. If you like what you heard, please be sure and hit the subscribe button, share it with somebody else, and we would be honored if you would give us a five-star review. And until then, I want you to reach out, Diana. And also, if you have a book inside of you, I want you definitely to reach out to Diana, check out her books on Amazon. And to our leaders out there, I want to thank you all for continuing to pay the price of leadership. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.